0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 229. It's titled, Stop Maximizing Your Portfolio and your life. As you know, I used to be an institutional investment advisor. I was that for, what, 17 years or so. I worked mostly with not-for-profits at a number of college endowment clients. And when they would hire me and my firm, we would produce an asset allocation study using Modern portfolio theory. Modern portfolio theory is a theory developed by Harry Markowitz back, really, it started in the early 1950s, and he eventually won the Nobel Prize for his efforts. And the idea to what you need to do an asset allocation study with modern portfolio theory is you need an estimate of the return for different asset classes, be it stocks, bonds, real estate, and others. You also need an estimate for volatility, which is how modern portfolio theory measures risk. Risk is the ups and the downs. How a portfolio differs in terms of its average expected return. An asset class such as stocks that can have large deviations from its, its expected return is more volatile and hence more risky. Asset classes that are more risky are more likely, have a greater likelihood of suffering a loss. So you need an estimate of volatility for each asset type. And then you need something called correlation. How to do different assets move together? Do they move in lockstep? In which case it would be perfectly correlated? Or did perhaps... One is more volatile, so it moves up a lot, while the other maybe moves in the opposite direction or just doesn't go up as much. So you kind of need that correlation. So with those inputs, there are optimization models. And what the model does is it will generate a series of portfolios that maximizes the return for a given level of volatility. And there's a, a line, a plot of each of those portfolios, which is called an efficient frontier. See, so, so for a given level of volatility, you maximize the return. For the next level, it maximizes the return, comes up with this portfolio. So you have this line of different portfolio returns. And you can look at the dot on the efficient frontier to see, well, how is that portfolio comprised? I would then take my asset allocation study to the client. We would have a discussion with the investment committee and they would choose a portfolio that they felt was an appropriate target for their endowment. What I quickly learned, though, as I met with clients is nobody really wanted an efficient or an optimal portfolio. They wanted a palatable portfolio, something that they were comfortable with. So maybe they didn't want a large allocation in, in small company stocks or non-US stocks or, or some other asset class. And so the, the way these models work, you could actually constrain. You could say, I don't want more than 15% in small company stocks. And so then it would, it would plot this efficient frontier based on those constraints. It was very much an exercise of, of providing an optimal diet for clients, but only including the food groups that they were willing to eat and in the amounts that they were willing to do so. Eventually, I just, I just stopped showing this efficient frontier because it seemed like such a farce to be showing this very, very constrained frontier. And there were a number of other issues I found with modern portfolio theory one some of the data you had to make up if they wanted to invest in let's say venture capital venture capital is not very volatile because it's not it's just not traded daily so it doesn't have the daily volatility so so what do you do for an assumption a volatility assumption for venture capital or its correlation to other asset classes, you, you effectively have to make up the data and come up with an expected return and develop, just, just put out a number there for volatility. We typically would have something over 20% to sort of replicate what the volatility of venture capital might be if it was traded daily. So it was kind of an artificial exercise ultimately to get them to select a portfolio. The problems with modern portfolio theory go beyond that. One of the first to point out some serious flaws was a gentleman named Benoit Mandelbrot and he wrote a book called Misbehaviors of Markets and what he found was that investment returns for portfolios extreme events happened with more regularity than what the models predict. So bad things happen, just happen more often than what the theory predict. And and so one of the things that he says is, is what matters, this is a quote from his book, what matters is the particular, not the average. Because extreme things, huge losses happen more frequently than model portfolio theory suggests, we should focus on the extreme What's the financial harm that a large loss could cause us in terms of our lifestyle, in terms of our retirement? And I found in working with clients that they, they tended to focus on the expected return. Well, that's just what the model generated. It generated an expected return. We showed the standard deviation, but this concept of standard deviation, which is how volatility is measured, just not very intuitive. Here's how Nicholas, Nassim Nicholas Taleb puts it. He says, risks are seen in tail events rather than in variations. Variations, that's, that's the volatility, but risk isn't volatility. Risk are the extreme events, the tail events. What's a tail event? Well, when you're looking at volatility and standard deviation or a distribution of returns, the hugely negative returns are, are to the left side of the distribution. They're, they're in the tail. Most of the of the observations will be near the average. It's kind of the hump in terms of a normal distribution. But the risk is in is in the extreme events, the tails. And, and that's important when it comes to how we invest. And I've said this repeatedly. We should focus on the extreme, not the average outcome? What's the worst thing that could happen to us? And we're used to investing that way. We, we make a number of financial decisions that way. I suspect you have home insurance. Why do you have home insurance? Well, in case the extreme event that you get robbed or your house burns down. It's extreme, but you're willing to protect against it. You might have life insurance or disability insurance. Again, because of an extreme event, it's rare. But if it happens, it could be devastating to your family. So we we protect against that. That's what it's, it, we hedge. It's a hedge. Unfortunately, we can't hedge our portfolio, protect our portfolio in the same way against losses. Now, Money for the Rest, rest of Us Plus, I, we've done some calculations because occasionally we look at what does it cost to hedge an investment portfolio in terms of buying put options. And and it's pretty pricey in terms of a couple, two, 3% per year in terms of return you would give up to protect against, let's say a 10 to 15% or greater drop in the stock market. That's, fact that it costs so much to hedge your portfolio is additional justification for why extreme events happen more frequently than modern portfolio theory suggests. If it costs a lot to hedge or protect against something, because it's more likely, and that's what you see with financial markets. One of my favorite writers right now in terms of investment thought is a gentleman named Ben Hunt. He's chief investment officer of an investment boutique called Second Foundation, and he's author of the Epsilon Theory Newsletter. It's a website, and I've mentioned him before. In fact, I think the first time I mentioned him was back in episode 100. Here's what he says about Modern portfolio theory. And I I believe this is from an essay called Things Fall Apart. I'll I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. Or remember my free insider's guide, my weekly free email newsletter. You have gotten those show notes. That's where I'm writing to listeners, or in this case, to newsletter subscribers. Things that didn't make it into the podcast. Additional commentary, additional insight, additional value. You can only get it in that newsletter. Please sign up at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Here's what Ben Hunt writes. Everything that modern portfolio theory tells you is based on decision-making under risk. It's all an exercise in maximization. Maximizing your expected return return over, over a series of risk versus reward decisions. And that works out perfectly well if you have stable historical data and well defined current risk. Less well if you have unstable historical data and poorly defined current risk. It's like using a saw when you need a hammer. Not only do you have no chance of driving in that nail, but you're going to damage the wood. My biggest concern with modern portfolio theory and, and sort of the traditional way to allocate assets is it's just it's just too st- tidy. It simplifies the investing world too much into sort of this number, this expected volatility, expected risk. But it assumes that you can actually estimate these correlations, you can estimate these volatilities. And the world's way too complicated for that. We're investing in a world of extreme uncertainty. Financial markets are complex adaptive systems. They just have a wide variety of inputs and they adapt and learn over time. There's a lot of interactions and we don't know what's going to happen. It's extreme. And as a result, we have to do we we have to invest in a way that we're aware of those extremes. Before we look at how to build out portfolios in an era of uncertainty, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com. david What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/david. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com/david for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Here's another quote I like from Ben Hunt. He writes, "My goal as an investor is not to maximize my investment returns or to maximize my personal wealth. My goal as an investor is to minimize my maximum regret in the meta game. What is the meta game? Well, first off, a game in terms of game theory it's an it's a strategic interaction as he describes it, which means He writes, your decisions are contingent on my decisions, and my decisions are contingent on your decisions, and we both know it. So it's how we interact in the world, in a complex adaptive system. But a metagame, he says, it's the big picture. A metagame is the forest, not the trees. A metagame is the portfolio, not the trade. A metagame is the career, not the assignment. And yes, there are metagames on top of metagames. So he's saying he wants to minimize his maximum regret in the big picture, in in the long term. He goes on. What is maximum regret? Dying alone, failing to protect and sustain my pack, both at the most personal level of family and the broadest level of humanity. Minimizing the risk of that is what drives my doing, in both politics and in markets. I want enough wealth to avoid the bad ending, not the most wealth I can possibly achieve, because going for the most wealth I can possibly achieve actually increases the chance of a bad ending. Putting 100% of your portfolio in stocks is the way to maximize your return but it's also potentially a way to destroy your retirement. If we get into a severe bear market and stocks collapse 60-70% the year before you retire, that, that would be maximizing return. We want to minimize our maximum regret. He goes on, And yet, all of our dominant ideas about financial advice, all of them, are based on the assumption that we are maximizers. Every bit of modern portfolio theory, all of it, is based on assumptions of maximization. All those big bank model portfolios that are handed down from on high every month, all of them are based on the assumption that we are maximizers. Worse All of these ideas about economics and investing aren't just based on the assumption that we are maximizers. All of these core ideas about financial advice are based on the narratives that we should be maximizers. Now, I run some model portfolios of money for the rest of us plus. We recently made a change to those because investment conditions are deteriorating. And some members have pointed out that Geez, these, these portfolios, they're not really aggressive. Your aggressive portfolio isn't very aggressive. It's aggressive to me. It's upwards of 70% stocks, but it doesn't maximize the return. We're seeking to minimize the maximum regret. A member wrote in the Plus Member Forums after this recent model portfolio change. He writes, I have found that adjusting my portfolio was curiously difficult. The biggest thing I had to resolve was a fear of missing a chance to recover all of my losses. The idea of smaller moves helped me get over years of buy and hold inertia. Trying to make sense of the world of investment can be daunting. I really appreciate the Investment Conditions Report for the reasoned perspective presented to paraphrase a common saying investing is a journey not a destination modern portfolio theory assumes there's there's an optimal portfolio a right answer based on your particular risk tolerance and and so it makes us fearful to to make any adjustments to that because that's our portfolio i don't like i don't invest like that in an era of uncertainty. But I admit making a change is very emotionally charged. If we see risk increasing and we want to reduce risk a little bit because we don't think the opportunity is, is great, there is fear there. There's fear regret. Regret that we might miss out, that the markets will rebound and we missed it, that we're wrong. I have found we can take the emotion out of that By really looking at modern or, or investing asset allocation, not as an optimization problem. It's more like gardening or landscaping, your yard or park. There isn't an optimized flower garden, there isn't a right answer. Landscapers, they plant. Dozens of varieties of grasses, bushes, and flowers that bloom at different times, that are resistant to different diseases. Some might bear fruit. Some are more drought-tolerant. Some are annuals, perennials. There's rules of thumb or principles to, to laying out a garden. But you don't optimize your garden. In the same way, we shouldn't try to optimize. There's no optimal Portfolio. We make the best decisions based on what we have. It, it's, it can start very simple. Start with cash. What's cash yielding? Right now, let's say 2 2.5%. Two That's the base layer. We can't keep all our portfolio in cash because cash generally doesn't keep up with inflation. Uh, other asset class major asset class is stocks. Stocks earn more than cash because they have cash flow in terms of dividends, but that cash flow grows over time. So the fact that the cash flow is growing, the dividends are growing, so the economy continues to grow, leads stocks to have a higher expected return than bonds. And whether you use 5 6 7%. We, we can use different inputs there. We don't want to use strictly historical returns because investment conditions are different now. Dividend yields are lower. Valuations are higher for the U.S. market. Economies globally are, go, are not growing as fast as they were several decades ago, particularly in the U.S. due to aging, higher debt levels, Etc. But just with those two inputs, you don't need to know the correlation between stocks and cash to figure out what your allocation should be. You don't need to fill out a questionnaire to see how comfortable you are with some level of volatility. You care about minimizing your maximum regret. What's the impact going to be on your lifestyle? If markets, the stock market fell 60%, which is kind of a worst-case scenario. It's what happened in 2008, 2009. If your portfolio is small and you have decades to retirement, maybe you are 100% stocks and comfortable with the 60% decline in your portfolio. If you're not, it's to a weighted average between cash and stocks. Figure out what that weight is. And, and your deciding factor is that 60% potential maximum loss. If you can withstand a 30% loss, then you have half your assets in, ca- in stocks. And that's kind of the base layer of your asset allocation garden. And then you can add other other plants, other asset classes, things that have different return drivers. Maybe instead of cash, you want to invest in ultra short-term bonds that have a little higher yield. Maybe you have different types of stocks, maybe some non-US, maybe some smaller company stocks. Maybe you add real estate. Maybe you add some private investments that don't, you can't measure the private, the volatility of an apartment building a rental real estate project, but it generates a return. It's just another layer, another asset class in in your portfolio. And so it's not it's it's just diversification is the key, obviously, but it doesn't have to be optimized. You don't have to quantify it. You can be more flexible in doing that. And if if you don't have this target that you're adhering to, then it's easier to make changes as conditions change. It's not as emotionally charged when you do it, because it's it's if you have an optimized or optimal portfolio according to modern portfolio theory, it's very challenging. If I if I make a change, then I'm not optimal anymore. But if it's more if it's more fluid like Lance I'm, like, I'm gonna add a new plant. I'm gonna just I'm gonna pull this plant out. Dying. It's easier to do and, and you're able to, especially if you, you make incremental changes, because it lowers the emotional stakes. And because of that, it, it becomes a much more flexible approach with the ultimate goal not to maximize a return, but to survive, right? To minimize our maximum regret, to play the long game, what Ben Hunt calls the meta game. This past weekend, Lapro and I were in the East Bay area of California, Oakland, Berkeley area, and a couple of things stood out. One, how how dry it was. Just the grass was dry, and I looked up the for the the precipitation year, which begins July first through November. Northern California, their precipitation as a percent of normal was two percent, four percent. Now, they don't get a whole lot of rain during this period, but it's very, very dry, extremely dry, 2% of normal precipitation for this time of year. 2017, they set records in terms of precipitation. And so there's more extremes when it comes to weather, And, and we're seeing more extremes in politics. We're just seeing more extremes... Everywhere, which means the data, going back to Ben Hunt, it's just not stable anymore, which is why we have to invest in a very different way than we have typically invested. Julia, a member of Money for the Restless Plus, sent me this article. It was a study, actually. It's it's the Global Sustainable Development Report 2019. And there was a section called Transformation of the Economy. And it was, it was put together by a number of professors, academics in Finland. I'm not going to even try to pronounce the name because I will absolutely butcher it. But here's the paragraph that really stood out. Because economies are, for the first time in human history, shifting to energy sources that are less energy efficient. In other words, Oil is great. You get a lot of energy when you burn oil. But as we move to sustainable energy, solar, wind, it's, it's just not as efficient. So they said, for the first time, we're moving to energy sources that are less energy efficient. And as we do so, production of usable energy will require more, not less, effort on the part of societies to power both basic and non-basic human activities we can't maximize our energy usage anymore because it's just not easy. It's just we don't have as many carbon-based sources. Where we're having to use renewal; they're just not as efficient. He goes on, or they go on. Sink costs are also rising. Economies have used up the capacity of planetary ecosystems to handle. The waste generated by energy and material use. Climate change is the most pronounced sink cost. So it's getting harder to generate the energy we need and the cost of doing it, of of handling, I mean, global warming being one example, but the waste that's generated, just waste in general. We've talked about plastic in earlier episodes. The hurdles are getting higher, which again, which is why maximization of anything just doesn't work in the current environment. We were in the Bay Area to take a class. It was a, it was a class on slow fashion. We, we went to a, a forum on slow fashion, but we, we learned how to stitch called sashiko stitching. It's a way that Japanese in in Hokkaido in the northern provinces would mend their garments and get them back into rotation using very simple stitches. We learned how to do it. I want to learn how to fix my jeans that have holes in it. And it's a salvaged jean. I mean they're they they wear out after I have a pair of jeans four four years old. I want to be able to keep wearing them. So I learned how to stitch. It was a class given by Katrina Rodenbach. She's got a new book called Mending Matters. And there's a quote at the beginning of the book that I love. It's by the tennis player, Arthur Ashe. He says, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And that's what we can do in investing. So we can do in our life instead of maximizing, and trying to maximize, let's, let's just step back and start where we are. Use what we have. Do what we can. Just, just do it little by little. And investing will be easier. Living will be easier if we just do that. That is episode 229. Again, show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education not considered your specific risk profile, not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.